Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Has God ever done anything to get your or someone you know's attention? Quite often, in the busyness of life, we forget God. So He lovingly orchestrates events to get us to look to Him. At the time, it may seem unloving, but in the end, we do see it as loving. The prophet Habakkuk was praying that God's people would come back to him. And when God told him his plan, the prophet could not believe his ears. Yet long term, God knows the best way to get us to return to him. To hear the prophet's prayer, let's join Pastor Jim in Habakkuk chapter 3 in part 2 of his message, Praying with a Prophet for Revival. Friends, I have to be honest with you. I'm, I'm saddened sometimes by what I hear from people, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, is we have great passion when we're upset with God. We have great passion when we want God to do something, but we really don't have much passion when God wants us to be submissive to him. And and Habakkuk is passionate about being submissive to God as he prays, even though He might not agree with what God's doing, but as we're going to see today, he gets it. Yes, we've learned, chapter one, that we can unload our feelings on God, but then there must come a time for chapter two, verse 20, for us to be silent. The world's situation, remember we covered that Babylon was just rolling over everybody. I mean, they just... They had raised, been raised up as a world superpower and they were also called the Chaldeans and they were just rolling over everybody. They just, it's like, a, like, like a car running over, running over everything in, in its path. And the world situation was in a disaster. And, and we do well to model the prophet's thoughts, attitudes, and prayer in our day because our world right now is in a disaster. And we have many of the same questions that Habakkuk had. Why is this happening? Yet, I wonder, do we lack a key question to getting to the place where Habakkuk is? What would that question be? Lord, what's wrong with your people? Not what's wrong with the world. Lord, what's wrong with your people? You see, Habakkuk desperately wanted what we call revival. He wanted revival in the land, and many of us are praying for revival. Now, before you say amen, he's going to challenge us, are we really praying for revival? Here's a very, very deep heartfelt, soul-searching question. If we really want revival, how do we feel about the fact that God may want to use a terrorist group to bring it? Because that's what he's doing in Israel right now. That's what he's doing in Judea right now in southern Israel. He is going to bring in terrorists to bring revival into his land. How do we, how do we feel if God wants to use a pandemic to bring revival. 
And there were periods of plagues in, 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 in the Bible where God said to his people, I'm serious about this stuff. You know, they were complaining about, we looked at a couple weeks ago or months ago where you know, the people were complaining about everything and, and God sent serpents because his people just, they needed to be brought back to, to him. What if God wants to use a time of great pain in, in his people to bring about revival. And before we get too high and mighty on our horse, you may be sitting at home going, well, that's why I don't go to church. Church is made up of Christians. And so by all of us not following God or the church collectively not following God or getting going down a different path or that path by following the ways of the culture, what will God have to do to bring us back? I know this is very anti-American church, but we all know right now that times are bad. We all know that there's a high probability that they could get worse, either with this virus or economically or other ways. But the question is, will you, will I, will we live by faith in such difficult times or will we abandon ship? So verse two is a stick of dynamite in our way of thinking. Now, some of you are like, oh, this is, sound, this is going rough here, Pastor Jim. I, I'm just, I, verse by verse, line by line, what it is, it is. Oh Lord, he says, verse two, I have heard your speech and was afraid. Let's just stop there for, for one second. I've heard your speech and I was afraid. A lot of Bible versions, more versions put it this way. I have heard the report of you. I have heard of your fame. Typically when they would talk about that, they would be thinking of being taken out of Egypt with Moses. I stand in awe of your deeds. We almost get the feeling that Habakkuk says, Lord, I've heard about you all my life. I'm a good little Jewish boy. My parents raised me in the faith and I heard about you all my life. But now, now I see. I love this. Right before our very eyes, prophet, a prophet, Habakkuk, is growing in the faith. Now that should be very encouraging to all of us. That's evidence of us, you don't have to arrive to serve the Lord. You can start right wherever you are to serve God. And he's growing. His faith is developing. His prayer is becoming confident by being aware of God's work in the past. What does that tell us? He's a Bible reader. He's a Bible reader. Once again, we see, we've said this many times on Wednesday nights, Eyes off the problems and fixed on the Lord. Eyes off the problems. Doesn't mean we're not going to deal with them at some point. But if we want God's wisdom, eyes off the problems, put them over there for a second, and eyes on the Lord. And what does that do? That makes him afraid of the Lord. That makes him stand in awe of the Lord. And it makes him confident in the Lord. So for the... For the Old Testament saints, which Habakkuk is one of them, 
the men and women of faith of the Old Testament, their eyes were on the saving power of God from Egypt during the Exodus. For us, it is our eyes are on the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this kind of understanding is not limited to a prophet. It's not limited to an apostle. A personal relationship with God is available to everyone. In the scripture, the fear of the Lord, which the scripture says is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge, or or the terror of the Lord can actually feed our faith. It leads us to a deep respect and reverence for God that is long-lasting. I know that doesn't seem to make sense, but it does. Habakkuk's focus on an all-powerful and all-knowing God who hates sin but offers the forgiveness of sin gives him great confidence and great hope. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed the animals for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there would be an element of faith, otherwise you're just going through the motions. In the New Testament, it is the sacrifice of God's son. Again, the same thing, there must be an element of faith that goes with it. Now, let's think for a second about the people of God who left Egypt. If you know the story, if you don't, you can read about them and in uh, books two through five of the Bible, and uh, you'll realize that um, (laughs) they were a bunch of whining, complaining sinners who God still loved, and he offered them grace. But their unbelief still cost them 40 years in the wilderness. God still needed to do something to help them to grow, put all of this together, and I think we're beginning to see that Habakkuk's effective prayer, and you could say this for all effective prayer, is marked by humility without ignoring reality. So, so he's, he's, he's putting them together. Back in Habakkuk chapter one, I, I wanna read Verse five, two, it's the Lord's first words to the prophet. He said, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. Now, most people would read that and they would be like, look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded. I don't believe that. God could never do anything that could get everybody's eyes on him so quickly. Really? I'm not saying whether he did it or he allowed it, but how quickly did coronavirus bring our world down? I mean, how quickly did it get everybody on edge? And here's the hard part. This is a really hard part. In fact, I would advise you right now to put your coffee down. You might want to put your seatbelts on because we have to come to the realization that Habakkuk has come to. Habakkuk knows that Babylon is the right answer to the unbelief of the people of God. Some of you are like, Pastor Jim, could you say that again? I I didn't hear you too well. They were 
temple attending people. They were church people. They were, they were doing the feast. They, were, <laughs> they, they had all their celebrations. They were doing all the religious stuff you're supposed to do. Habakkuk knows. He's come to the place where he realizes that the people of God are unbelieving believers, that the people of God are posers, that so many of them really don't believe. There's people who do, but so many of them really don't, even though they're attending temple, even though they're attending church. And, and Habakkuk's in the place and time where he realizes that Babylon is the right answer for the people of God. And Habakkuk doesn't attempt in any way to defend the people. He's not like, hey, God, you forgot. We're the Israelites. He doesn't say, God, you forgot. We go to temple. We serve at our church. We have Bibles all over our house, man. Bibles everywhere. Bibles, Bibles, Bibles. We put money. We put a few shekels in the offering. God, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? He doesn't attempt to defend that at all. He knew what Isaiah wrote 100 years earlier, that God was sick of the fact that they would come in and play temple, play church, and their hearts were really not towards him. No, that's not what Habakkuk does. He essentially says, we've sinned, we've left you in our hearts. We might be going through the motions. We've sinned, we're living like the people around us. We've left you and we deserve this. And we deserve this. And as awful as it may seem, Habakkuk is willing to submit to God's plan for God's glory and the good of his people. Habakkuk seems to have realized that what he thought was silence before was the grace of God. God was just patiently waiting to see if his people would change. And the punishment that is now coming their way is actually the love of God. Fast forward to the New Testament. The apostle Peter writes this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. That's a pretty serious statement. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? What will, what will their end be? Well, it will be hell without trusting Jesus. Verse 18, now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, <laughs> that's because of Jesus, it's, it's a hard thing, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? It's almost like our hearts should be broken by those words. Like, what's gonna happen to them? What's gonna happen to my friends? What's gonna happen to my coworkers, my family members? What's gonna happen to those people? You know, sometimes the church and remember, the church is comprised of people, whether they, whether they attend church or not. Sometimes they, be, can, they can be so critical of the world's sin or the opposite. Under the guise of being relevant, they don't care anything about it, all the while ignoring their own sin. Don't even think about it at all. Many Christians hide behind grace. When they sin, they go, well, there's grace, there's grace. Yet Titus chapter two says that the grace of God teaches us to obey God. Other people will say stuff like this. They'll say stuff, well, 
We're not perfect, but at least we're not as bad as those people. Or, or other people look at us and they go, you're just like everybody else. We're not supposed to be pointing at them saying we're not as bad. We're not supposed to be thought of as being just like everybody else. We're supposed to be God's people. We're supposed to be different. And sometimes I feel like, and certainly when I read the Bible, and certainly when I look around at times, I feel sometimes God wants to to say this to the American church. If you won't take the plank out of your eye, you'd have to... Google that if you want to know more about that, if you don't know. If you won't take the plank out of your eye, if you won't take the sin out of the church, if you won't take the sin out of your own life, then I'm going to do it for you. And why does God do it? Because he loves us and because he's holy. You see, maybe a lot of people don't realize this, but they're the frog in the pot. And it's slow boiling, and it's so slow boiling, they don't realize that they're becoming spiritually dead. I've heard people say God is using the virus to get the rest of the world to wake up. I've heard people say God is using the virus to judge the world. I don't know, but I'm just throwing out to you what Habakkuk knows is going on in his day. I'm not saying it's going on in our day, but it's entirely possible. Is it possible that God could be using the virus to discipline a church that it's lost its way? Many New Testament Christians, I call them that, but sort of tongue in cheek, stand in judgment on the God of the Old Testament that he uses the savage Babylonians. But let's understand this. That's what it took to kick the idols out of the land. And it worked. They got, a lot of them lost their lives. A lot of them were taken as prisoners down to Babylon. But the idols that were there before, when they came back, they were gone. There was other things that popped up. They, they suffered from too much religion, not enough relationship with God. They changed they, they, all these little laws and rules that they were, they, they were bringing, importing into the faith that were never there, put in there by God. Rules of men, Jesus said, not the rules of God, not the things of God. But, but, but I tell you what, man, the Babylonians did take the idolatry out of them. It sure did. You know, the old expression goes, it took God one night to get the, his people out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And so, so the Babylonians did kick the idols out. And loved ones, I know you don't want to hear this, but some of us know this for a fact. I know this all too well. This is one of the reasons why I love God, but I fear him at the same time, is sometimes the Lord has to sting us so badly because it's the only way to get us to stop. It's the only way to get us to look up and fear him and live for him. If you don't believe me, look at the cross. Don't think about it. Don't even see it. Feel it. Feel the nails going into Jesus. Feel the shame of most likely being crucified naked in front of all those people. Feel 
the separation from God. Feel for a second all goodness sucked out of the world, all goodness sucked out of your life, and you are just there in the midst of just pure evil. Feel how God the Father stung Jesus on the cross for you and for me. Feel it, man. Feel it. So Habakkuk asked for two things from God. You could say three, but we'll be here forever if we do all three. Two things from God. The first thing he asked for is revival. Verse two continues. O Lord, revive your work. Man, just stop and think about that. Dude, that's praying. That is not, that is, that is praying. Lord, oh Lord, revive your work. Not my work, your work. Some versions say, renew your work. Do it again, God. In the midst of the years, Lord, we want to see it now. We want to see it now. In the midst of the years, make it known. So what is he saying? He says, he's saying, God, revive your work and make it known. Reveal it to us. Let us see it. Let us experience it. We know you have to discipline us. Discipline us and bring us back to you. It's like he's now saying, he's complaining in chapter one. Now in chapter three, he sees it so bad. It's like he's saying to God, would you please do whatever it takes? Whatever it takes, man, please do it. Do it. We're that far gone and we don't even see it. The people are blind to it. Habakkuk knew the people needed the renewal of the righteousness from King Josiah's reign. They needed to return. He knew that they needed revival. He knew that their faith was dead. They knew as the New Testament said, they were dead in trespasses and sins and they needed God's resurrection power. So what is Habakkuk asking God? This is crazy to us. Lord, would you please use the pain and the heartache of life to do what you said in Matthew chapter one, you were gonna do with Jesus to save your people from their sins. Would you please do that? That means friends, that we can no longer give lip service to our prayers for revival. That means that our prayers for revival may just bring really hard times on the church. It may bring really hard times on our nation. It may bring really hard times on our world and to you and me as individuals. You know, we go around, we talk about revival. This is one of the verses that you have to, at any time you talk about revival, you have to, you have to read this verse. It's like required. Everybody's like, we gotta pray for revival. We gotta pray for revival. And people break out 2 Chronicles 7.14. I'm gonna read to you the American church version of it. It's a different version. Some of you are going to say, oh, he skipped part of it. And this is what the Lord said to King Solomon. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And people go, this is great. 
We can do this. We can humble ourselves. We can pray. We can seek God's face and he'll, he'll hear from heaven. He'll forgive us and heal our land. Did you notice the part that I skipped? I skipped the part that said, and turn from their wicked ways. So let's listen to it again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and, and turn from their wicked ways, both have to happen. Then, if they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and they will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, what's he going on about? Well, I read all this stuff. It tells us in, in surveys that typically the lives of American confessing Christians, I think in a church like ours, it can be somewhat different because we're a lot more focused on exactly what God's saying. We're not skipping passages like this. But it says that most people who profess to be Christians, their lives are no different than anybody else's except where they spend one or two Sunday mornings a month. Thanks for listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to bring you hope, encouragement, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray with us that Changed by Love will make a profound difference in many lives. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Teaming together in prayer is the key to a spiritually rich life. It really does take a team of praying individuals to reach thousands. Thank you for being part of the Changed by Love support team. To find out more ways to team with Changed by Love, go to our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862-217-9686. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.